0: Hey guys, we're so excited to share this message with you on the Center Set podcast. My name is Ethan and I lead worship here at Center Set. We'd love for you to download our app so that you can keep up with all that is happening in our community. Text Center Set to seven seven nine seven seven 77 to download. Is there anyone excited for church? Come on! We have now met, my name is Ali and my beautiful wife and I, we started this crazy place called Bull Church four years ago. With a simple dream, we wanted to create a place where not only Christians could grow in their faith, but unchurched people could explore their faith. So if you're new to faith, welcome, you're a VIP, and you are in for a treat. If this is your first time, I apologize, it's going to be a heavy message today. Uh, there are times where I, probably two or three times a year, I bring this out. Why, Pastor Allie? Because there are times where you preach an amazing message. That's what last week was about. Oh my gosh, I love last week, Pastor Allie, oh. <laughs> today is one of those messages you're going to throw something at me, okay? That's why I got this helmet here. So before we begin, I need everyone to repeat after me. I would rather, rather. my pastor, pastor. tell me the truth truth. than tell me me. what I want to hear. You you, you asked for it. I'm just letting you know. You asked for it. We are on a collection of talks called Christians Gone Wild. Yes, it's a play on words. Twice a year, we go through books of the Bible. Why? Because you need the whole Bible to make a whole Christian. And we are uh, talking about... How do you follow Jesus in a jacked-up church? And this book, 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote to this church that was four years old. Hello, we're four years old. They're jacked up just as much as we are. And we are talking about something very heavy today. If you see the verse on the screen, someone shout amen. amen. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greed, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. Someone say washed. And you were sanctified. Someone say sanctified. And you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the Spirit of God, I have the right to do anything you say. But not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself. Shall I take them, the members of Christ, and unite them with a prostitute? Never! Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said "The two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord will be one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. I've got a juicy sermon titled Jesus and Sex. Turn to your and you say, are you ready? Turn to your other neighbor and say, I'm not. And uh, for those of you that are on the bottom left-hand corner, all my sermon slides are available. Just text the word bold notes, one word, no space, to 97,000 or go to that URL, all my slides, all 51 of them are going to be available for free 99. Let me just pray before we begin because I, I don't know about you, I need prayer. God, we thank you so much for this opportunity to grow and learn and be stretched. Lord Jesus, I just pray, Lord, that you would help us be a community known by the fruits of the Spirit, not by the fruits of the flesh. That we would be known by our love and our joy and our hope, God we thank you, Jesus. We ask that we, as we go out of this room, God, that we would commit to being the kind of people, the kind of people that would walk in the Spirit. We would just praise you and we thank you. And everybody said, everybody said, uh, we're going to have a, a fun conversation about biblical sexuality today. Some of you who are very religious, maybe Catholic, your butt is probably squeezed right now. It's okay. Just relax. It's going to be a fun conversation. For those of you that are part of our community, You would have, many of you would have received an email. Very few of you would have read it. I have MailChimp, <laughs> 25% open rate. So we try to put it on social media. Today is an NC17 sermon. Uh, today, I want to let you know about the books I had to read in preparation for today. Today is a, a very heavy subject. I, I did not just go to TikTok. I didn't just go peruse the internet and like come up with something fun to talk about. Uh, book number one, it's on your screen by a man named Kevin DeYoung. It's a fantastic book. If there's one book on this list of 13 that I would recommend, this is the one. And no, let me just tell you, I don't preach like this. For those of you that come every week, you, you know It's like loud, I'm boisterous, I'm in your face. Today's a different kind of sermon. Uh, If you you want a scholarly book that's less than 100 pages, this book is fantastic. Book number two, another great book. Uh, I'm going to read a portion of this book called Washington Way. This man by the name of Wesley Hill is a member of the LGBT community, but he chooses to live a celibate life. And the he wants to be washed in waiting for the return of Jesus. Book number three, this is embodied by a man named Preston Sprinkle. This book is loaded. This is absolutely fantastic. Uh, how do Christians uh, have a discussion around transgender ideologies and the church? So eye-opening. Book number four, this one is a massive one. Probably one of the best books I read this year called Strange New World. Carl Truman is a seminary professor at Grove University. This book explains the cultural moment that we live in. If you want to understand why, why are we the way that we are as a country, that's the book you want to read. Book number five, this is another person in the LGBT community. Her name is Rebecca McLaughlin. She is self-identified as having same-sex attraction, but she chooses not to live that lifestyle. She wrote a book called The, the Twelve Objections to Faith. What are the things that, why are you guys Christian? And she tries to answer those questions. Book number, I'm not even sure, six or seven. Nancy Piercy, this is like a worldview. There's personhood and there's Imago Day. Personhood says if you can't breathe and think, we should pull the plug. You have no values to society. Imago Day says that you are born in the image of God. Even if you're handicapped, you still have value. And these two worldviews are opposed to one another. Fantastic book. Next book. This one is, this is one of the top five books I've probably ever read. Irreversible damage. Why are 80% of the people that are transitioning in America, 13 to 16-year-old girls. And that transition is irreversible. She talks about what, this is by a a non-believer, by the way. Next book, this one is uh, Jackie Hill Perry, fantastic theologian, scholarly. This is more experiential. She was part of the LGBT community, came out. Fantastic book. Next book by uh, Caleb Cottonbach. Imagine being 15 years old, And your parents are both lesbian and gay, and you become a Christian. Imagine coming home to that household. That's his story. Not only does he become a Christian, he becomes a pastor. How do you you navigate that? That's the book you want to read. Next book. Uh, Julie Slattery. Thank you. I'm tongue-tied. She talks about the, the biblical worldview. Why does God's design matter? Fantastic book. And I want to encourage you. I did not just read one side of this argument, I read the other. And if you are interested in both sides, this book is for you. Uh, it's called Next Book God on the Gay Christian by Matthew Vines. Nothing positive to say. Just skip it. I'm just kidding, of course. Uh, David Gushy, Changing Our Mind. And the last book, uh, Jared ba- B- Bias, Love Matters More. Let's breathe. I need to breathe. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9-11. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ, and by the Spirit of our God. I want to pause and read a, a letter from me to you. Today's message is probably going to be one of the most forward and direct messages in the history of this church. We're going to be dealing with a subject matter today that is loaded with opportunity for misunderstanding, offense, and confusion. My goal today is to wade through all of that in order to bring forth love and truth. My expressed desire in dealing with sex, sexuality, is to be a pastor who is biblically faithful, pastorally sensitive and culturally conversant. There was a day, if I'm being honest, that I thought I would never have to tackle this subject in the pulpit because I believed that this was a conversation more for a one-on-one dialogue. However, as a communicator of the gospel and teacher of the Bible and as a pastor of this church in this cultural moment, that moment no longer affords me that ability. My aim today is to handle all of this with love. As Paul wrote to Corinth 2,000 years ago, I want to take some time to clear up some terminology that we will be using today in order to have clarity and understanding. The word orthodox and historic, these will be used interchangeably. These are conservative views. Then there will be two other terms, revisionist and progressive. These are will be used interchangeably. These are the liberal views. I use these terms, orthodox and historic, to describe the traditional historic view on sex and sexuality as the Bible describes and as agreed upon by theologians across all seven continents for the last 2,000 years. I will use the term revisionist and progressive to describe those who are diverging from historical Christianity to a more revisionist Christianity. I do not use those terms flippantly or derogatory. I simply use them as they are now accepted academic terms for such diversions. These terms are not meant to be political in any way. Let me just pause. This is not a political conversation, this is a Bible conversation. I'm a pastor, not a politician. I will be using the term homosexuality. This will be a general blanket statement for all of those people who are in same-sex attraction as well as those in varying degrees of identification. I'm very well versed with the current representation of LGBTQ plus acronym. Please know that I know the nuances and identification of each particular issue that are represented in each of the underlying realities. Sorry, this is wordy. LGBT is a clunky term and I wish to avoid it for communication's sake. Today's message is not meant to shame anyone. Rather, today is a day that I pray would come with great freedom, hope, and transformation. I know that some of the things that are going to be said and brought up today will bring up memories, feelings, insecurity, anger, and guilt. It will bring up frustration and a lot of other things I can't necessarily put into words for you personally. I hope that we can come to the conclusion that no matter where you're at today, Bold Church is a place, a safe place, to have these types of conversations that you can process these things, that you can believe. You don't have to believe to belong. And so with that being said, with great humility and respect and fear and trembling, I'm going to approach the scriptures today. So before we begin, I'm going to pray a second time because I'm going to need it. Speak, God. Bring clarity. Bring hope. Bring freedom. Bring unity. In Jesus, everybody said... I remember what I was wearing when I was 11 years old, walking over to my friend's house. I remember the temperature of the day. I remember the heat. It was about 90 degrees, which is why I was wearing shorts and a t-shirt. I remember the breeze blowing in my face. I remember walking up the driveway with my friend who had called me 10 minutes prior, demanding that I run to his house. A few weeks ago, he had caught a praying mantis, and the put it in a cardboard box in his backyard. A month before that was 4th of July and he had fireworks in the same box. And so he invited me to his house and said, I need to show you this. So imagine the excitement as I walk into his backyard and see the cardboard box again, only to lean over and see magazines. Why did you have me run over? Until he opened it up and showed me what was inside. I remember the emotions on that day like it was yesterday. I remember innocence was taken. I remember there was this rush, these emotions that I had, I did not know that would start a 15 year addiction to pornography. I changed that day. The way I viewed women changed. The emotions I had towards women, the thoughts I had towards women changed. So often we think all sin is the same and it is the same in terms of classification and removing us from the presence of God. But there's a power. There's a pull to sexual sin that is so different. It's why the theologian Paul, who wrote this letter, said flee. Someone say flee. You don't run from cats. You run from bears. You run when something's going to kill you. There's only one thing the Bible tells you to run from, not from lying not from stealing, not from murder, not from Laker fans. Come on. We need a little bit of laughter. It's a heavy sermon. You run from sexual immorality. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, Honor God with your body. It's very easy to hear a sermon like this, but I don't deal with this pastorality. I'm good. And just dismiss and disengage. But this sermon's for everyone. Why? Because everyone in this room is sexual. Whether you're male or female, or you self identify as something else, whether you're tall or short, whether you're heavier or skinny, whether you have short hair or longer, whether you speak no English or four languages, everyone in this room, can we all agree we are sexual in nature? No one is off the hook. No one can say, these verses don't apply to me. If I were to raise your hand and say you have anger problems, statistically speaking, 20% of you would have anger problems. If I were to say, if you have gambling problems, 30% of you would have that problem. If I said you are sexually deviant, addicted to pornography, 70% would have that problem. But if I were to raise your hand and say, you, are you sexual in nature? Do you have sexual feelings? Every hand in this room would go up. No one is off the hook. And you didn't know that there's a, there are two words I need to introduce you with this morning around this conversation. The first word is this, pornea. Pornea, it's to commit fornication of any sexual sin. Who used this word? Jesus himself in Matthew chapter five and Matthew chapter 19. He says any sexual activity outside of marriage is pornea. And he says it like this. He says, Jesus defines all sex outside of marriage and even illicit sex in marriage as pornea. They come to him and say, Jesus, under what conditions can I leave my wife? She smells, she's hairy, she has a mustache. She doesn't glue her eyelashes on. Come on, I want to leave her. Jesus says, you cannot leave unless it's porneia. Unless you have sex outside of marriage. And he uses this term, this very broad term. It's massive. It's all sex outside of marriage. And Jesus defines marriage as male and female. There's this drawer in my house in the kitchen that if you open it, spoons, forks, knives. There's another drawer when you open it, foil, Ziploc bags. All the kind of stuff that my wife uses. then there's another one, like the kitchen utensils. I don't know how to cook. I burn water. I don't know how to cook. Those are the things my wife. Then there's another drawer on this side of the kitchen. I call it the everything drawer. You open it, there's keys, there's stamps, there's checkbooks. It's like anything we don't have a spot for, we just throw it in there. That's what this word is. It's the everything that falls out of what you wanted to find, throw it in there. Let me tell you why that's so important. We invent ways to have sex. When I was a kid growing up, if you wanted porn, porn or pornography, the internet wasn't around. We didn't have cable. My, my, my parents didn't have HBO. You had to either go to AMPM and steal it, or you had to find your dad's closet of magazines. Today... It's a totally different world. You don't even need to leave your couch. You should be a, a thumb warrior. And you go to any website you want. Let me tell you, in le- I believe in less than five years, because pastors are already talking about this privately, I will need to disciple people that have sex with robots. That the primary way that you have a sexual encounter is no longer in person, but in the meta world. And that I will be discipling couples with a wife crying, saying he cheated on me, and him saying I didn't sleep with anyone. It was a computer, Pastor Ali. And I have this word, pornea. Any sex outside of marriage that isn't with your spouse falls in this category. And you would think, now that we're talking about sex and sexuality, this is the only term I need to define. But it's not. I need to let you know that there's a a war about the next word I'm going to show you. It's on the screen. It's arson of cotes. It's on every college campus and every seminary in America, and it's coming to the local church. It's basically two words in one. Arson means men. Cotes means bed. If you put these two together, it means betters of men. It's pretty clear what the Bible's saying right there. The Bible is trying to show you a biblical ethic, a social, a a biblical morality that God created us to be male and female, and he wants all sex, which is awesome, by the way. I know some of you are Catholic and you never have sex unless it's, like, dirty. No, no, God celebrates. There's a whole book in the Bible called Song of Solomon where God celebrates sex. It's crazy. that Our God invented it. He's not embarrassed by it the way that you are. He's not, like, hiding about it. He wants to celebrate it, but in, in a certain context. And say, wait, I don't build a fireplace on the stage. I put it in the fireplace. God has a place for sex And that's marriage. But this word, which is used in the Old Testament and the New, clearly defines the kind of sex that God wants and wills. And there's an argument that the uh, the revisionists, the progressives, what I call the liberals, and they will attack that it's not clear, Pastor Alley. And they'll they'll make two primary arguments: the word homosexual is a modern term; you can't use that word in the Bible. Second argument they make is that that this word, arsenicotes, is not consensual sex. It's sex that's perpetrated. It's a sex where a master will, will rape a slave or an employer will will his way on an employee. Someone with power will force himself on someone who doesn't have power. There's a perpetrator and a victim. This is not consensual sex, they're arguing. This is unwanted sex. And because of this, the indictment against the homosexuality in the Bible is null and void they say this is not what the Bible's talking about and I will concede yes you're right the Bible never actually uses the word homosexual it's a modern term but the Greek word, the original word is beyond clear "arsenocotès." and what I want to show you the number one argument for the biblical position of sexual ethic comes from this version of the Bible. Next slide is this. Septuagint. Might want to write that name down for all you, some of you Bible nerds. The the Bible in the Old Testament is in Hebrew. The New Testament is in Greek. That's the original language. But a lot of Jews, they lived in Rome. They were speaking Roman languages, so they, they would read their version of the Bible in Greek. So there were words that were in that version of the Bible. The Greek translation of the Old Testament was used by the Jews in the first century. So there are words that are in the Old Testament that I want to show you in the Greek are the same words that we find in 1 Corinthians 9 I just read in a moment ago. Go to the next slide, Leviticus 18. Do you not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman? That is detestable. Go to the next slide. Meta arsenos. I can't even say that in English. Koten. That's what the word says in Greek. Let me show you another one. Leviticus 20. If a man has sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman, both of them have done what is detestable. That's Leviticus 20 verse 13. That's the same verse in the Greek. Let me tell you why that's so important. While you do not have the term homosexuality being used from an English term, we do have the Greek. Let me read this to you. Therefore, the nature and consistency of it and the prohibition of it across all of Scripture... As Paul, the apostle, articulates his thoughts and truths concerning the specific teachings on sexual ethic, we must see and understand that he's not mincing words because he used the same words in his own Bible. We must see and understand that he's not mincing words and that there is a clear teaching from the biblical perspective on the issues of homosexuality. Let me just pause for a moment. Many of you, you may even have your arms crossed. This is my first time at this church. I'm freaking out. Let me tell you, this is an internal conversation that we're having with those who follow Jesus. If you're not a believer, you can just zone out right now for a few minutes. I'm just being honest. I don't want to talk about Greek words with you. I want to talk about Jesus with you. But if you are a follower of Jesus, this is the clear teaching of the scriptures. That God has a sexual ethic that I did not create. I am the mailman. And the number one argument I hear, I, I probably get an email once a month along these lines. This is how the email goes. Pastor Ali, I think you're, you're bigoted. You, you, you don't understand the Greek word. You, you, you don't, I, I saw a video on TikTok, and it told me something different. <laughs> Listen, if your email starts with anything related to TikTok, I'm just going to delete it, Okay. We can make arguments that they didn't translate it properly. We can make arguments of white supremacy and the transliteration wasn't good and Paul was biased. We can even make arguments that maybe the Bible's outdated and incorrect in light of the social progression. Let me just say it like this. Not everything old is outdated. Let me say it again. Not everything old is outdated. That's why everyone's listening to Metallica right now because it's Stranger Things. Master of puppets. Why? Because not everything old. That's why girls are wearing bell bottoms right now? Because it 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 was outdated, but it's coming back. We just need a little bit of tension right now. So the question that you may be asking is, why, Pastor Ali, are you going after this subject? Seems like you're picking on on this community. Now say this. Great question. The answer is no, really, because no one in this room is sending a, me a monthly email telling me that I'm an idiot. That. Murder doesn't mean what it means. Pastor Ali, I like. I'm so offended at you right now. Murder does not mean that in the English. Oh my god. If I kill my roommate, that is not murder, okay? You are a white Imagine we just take the word sexuality and replace it with another word. We would all laugh like you're crazy. Put in the word stealing. Put in the word lying. No one questions any other Greek word in the Bible. The whole Bible is perfect except for that word. Isn't it funny that all the people complaining are usually 20-year-old millennials who are upset at the church. They're called deconstructionists. And you need to know the tone in which they speak. It is hurt. And the reason why I know, this is exactly how my kids act. When I don't give my kids what they want, when they feel abused, when they feel neglected, Everything is offensive to them. I go, Zoe, go to your home. You don't love me, Dad. (laughs) You hate me. And I'm like, what are you even saying, girl? Because she's operating from a place of pain. Pain doesn't change the purpose of the Bible. My feelings don't change the definition of the Bible. And what I loved, are you still with me? So what I want to do is I want to, Return the validity of this book. You can trust this book. Let me read you a quote from Kevin DeYoung. The English translations are almost always right, especially when they basically say the same thing. You don't have to be afraid. This book is more reliable than NPR. It tells more truth than CNN. There's no fake news here. Kevin DeYoung in his book, says, each of the nine translations, he lists nine translations, listed above, showing the nine translations of the Bible are put together by a team listeners of scholars with expertise, biblical scholarship of the original languages. That doesn't mean that we can't make mistakes or we can't learn new things that they missed, but it does mean that after reading a few commentaries and perusing a couple articles, you will certainly not know the ancient Greek better than they did if the translator thought a specific word meant X, as seminary students and bloggers are apt to say, they wouldn't have translated it Y. Our English translations, although imperfect, though they may be, are faithful and reliable translations of the original language. They do not need decoding. You can trust the Bible. It wasn't Translating incorrectly, for us to prop these conspiracy theories, or that there's white supremacy, there's, there's a, 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 ag- a political agenda behind these terms, is false. Let me tell you why. Because one of the things that I never saw after reading 13 books, you're welcome, by the way, for losing my entire month of April and May for you. Whereas most of you are watching a, a minute and a half video on TikTok, I'm, I'm spending all my free time reading 13 books. What I saw was remarkable. Every Century. Every hundred years, the church is attacked. The last two thousand years, the church is always being attacked. I'm not afraid anymore. I'm not afraid anymore because let me. No, 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 you don't don't need to clap. Let me tell you why. Because you can kill Christians and God will still advance. You can create rules. Go to China. They will execute you for being Christian. It's the fastest growing church in the world. In Iran, if you have a Bible, not only will they kill you, come after you, but come after your family second fastest church growing church in the world. you kill Christians, their blood will evangelize that city. You cannot crush jesus he 's stronger than rules He's strong. but there is one weapon that the enemy uses to attack the church the devil 's primary weapon of persecution against the church. Is never with rules or guns. It's always with theology. He asked the question, Did God really say? And the reason why I'm answering this question is I'm tired. Let me say, when I see American Christians quoting Satan, yes, I'm terrified. I'm tired of Christians coming up to me, Did God really say? And I have to remind them, You sound like Satan, bro. Are you sure? You want to quote him versus Jesus? That's why I'm scared. Because you think a bunch of 20-year-olds who are on TikTok know more than guys who spent their whole life studying this book. Christianity, let me tell you, for 2,000 years, theologians in Africa, South America, Europe, and Asia have all unilaterally for 2,000 years been in agreement. Only in the last 50 years has there been been a fight about the validity of the words and their meaning. I'm sorry, but I'm going to trust people who have spent their entire life studying the Bible. Not guys who are awesome warrior thumbs. And to conclude my introduction, because we're just getting started. I'm going to read you a quote from a theologian named Luke Timothy Johnson. And he's probably, in my opinion, the most honest, revisionist theologian. He says this, I think it is important to state clearly That we do in fact reject the straightforward commands of Scripture and appeal instead to another authority. What is he doing? He's saying, this is not number one in my life anymore. When we declare that same-sex unions can be holy and good, we appeal explicitly to the weight of our own experience and to the experience of thousands of others who have witnessed to which tells us that our claim to our own sexual orientation is in fact to accept the way that God has created us. Rejection of orthodox and scriptural truth, this is my quote, is the only way to work around the ethic design given to us by the scriptures because you can't go through it. That's what this seminary professor says. I tried to go through it, and I couldn't. Why? Because I hit a wall. So I just walked around because there's no way through. And let me just warn you, this is not the first time this has happened. Paul, when he's writing to the book in Romans, that culture... Women were viewed as property. Slaves were outlets for you to release yourself. You would rape your slaves. Men were never faithful. They had multiple wives, multiple sexual partners, and they treated women and children. Talk about infanticide. If you didn't have a boy, you tossed that thing. And then what happened? Christians came along. And said, regardless of whether you're handicapped, male or female, you're valuable. It was Christians who invented the adoption program. It was Christians who invented the hospitals. It was Christians who invented the the, the foster care. The kids that no one else wanted, the Christian says, we'll take them. We'll love them. This is our history. For 2,000 years, we adopt and love the unlovable. We put value where the world does not put value. And the very things that make this society amazing, America's the greatest country in the world, is now the very values that we are being attacked. Don't let 50 years erase 2000. No one wants to go back to that world. This is why Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 1. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because he has made it plain to them. For since the creation of of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have clearly been seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For though they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God, of the immortal God, for the images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over to their sinful desires of their heart, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things, rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. And because we want to avoid the Bible, we want to go around the Bible, what he's saying is we all, every person in this room, even me as the pastor, we all reject God's truth. There are three things that this text tells us we do. Number one, we reject God for myself. It's me, myself, and I. We're a selfie generation. We're the most Self-focused, inward. Let me let me make sure that picture looks good. Generation ever. And what is an idol? It's me. Number two. God's truth for my truth. The number one reason why we're having these problems is not because we're educated and smart and like smarter than the Bible. It's because we've taken the Bible and done this. I have a college degree, Pastor Alley. I'm above the Bible. I know better. And what I, my job today is to simply do this, is to prop the Bible up and help you see that is authority above professor, politician, doctor, friend, family, parent, and spouse. If you're not a believer here today, I'm sorry we're having this conversation with you in the room does not matter your sexual orientation you are welcome here i want to talk to you about jesus and in fact we want to give you a book called following jesus it's free we give it away free 99 just ask for it but if you're a follower of jesus let me just be challenge you for a moment you cannot erase two thousand years of christian history because of something you saw on tiktok number three we all do this by the way we reject god's design from my desire what I hope happens after today is this is not the end of a conversation this is the beginning if you have questions please email me at yasmin at centerset.church I had like two planned jokes on a really heavy sermon so why do we reject God's truth Dr. Julie Slatcher said this, pride is at the center of both our rejection of God's holy standard and our judgmental application of that truth. So when we reject the standard for our own personal lives, pride. When we, with bitterness and frustration, condemnation, level things against other people, pride. And this brings us to a fork in the road. If I can't get through the Bible, because the Bible doesn't make allowance for this, I need to go around. And Scripture is no longer king my feelings, and my emotions are. Let me read you this quote. Emotion is now the most popular weapon of the enemy when it comes to our current culture and society. My truth has become the war cry of a generation that's all but lost its way. Most of us have become casualties of a culture war that has been raging for the better part of 60 years, and you didn't even know it. Mary Eberstadt, in the book Primal Screams, talks about how the sexual revolutions created the world that we live in today, the sexual revolution was de, the destigmatization and the demystification of non-marital sex and the reduction of sexual relations in general to a kind of hygienic recreation in which anything goes as long as those involved are consenting adults. The number one website in the world outside of social media is Pornhub. 70% of men in America, whether they're Christian or not, watch porn once a week. And the porn industry makes more money than the NBA, MLB, and the NFL combined. Why? Because we have taken something that was meant for the bedroom, and we've demystified it. We've capitalized on porn. Marshall Kirk, in his book, How America Will Conquer Its Fear and Hatred of Gays in the Night, wrote this. First, your foot put... First, your foot in the door by being as similar as possible. Then and only then, when one of your little different orientations is finally accepted, you start dragging in your other peculiarities. One by one, you hammer in the wedge, narrow, and first, as the saying goes, allow the camel's nose beneath the tent, and his whole body will soon follow. We are in a culture war. But let me say this. I do not believe that we are called to fight in a culture war. Although there will be many in this room that would disagree with me, I believe we have a very unique purpose and role within this role. On April 1st, 1949, was the Battle of Ikonawa. It began with 38 days of battle. 80,000 people died. There was an 11-day standstill that became so famous, it became a movie called Hacksaw Ridge. A sergeant by the name of Desmond Doss, who was a believer, by the way, refused to hold a gun, refused to engage in the war. So what did they do? They made him a medic. This is the quote, the army made Doss' life hell during training. It started off as harassment and then became abusive. Several World War II veterans who were in Doss' battalion, they considered him a pest, questioned his sincerity, and threw shoes at him while he prayed. I'm not surprised when people make fun of you for your beliefs in Christianity. Let them. Let them. They saw him as a slacker, someone who didn't and shouldn't have been allowed in the army, someone who was their weakest link on their battalion. Their opinion of Dawson would eventually change as their lives would literally be saved by this man. Dawson, in his incredible feat, would crawl on the ground as bullets hovered overhead, and he dragged wounded soldiers one at a time to the edge of the cliff, lowering them down to safety. He rescued personally 75 men and would receive the Purple Heart from President Truman for his heroic rescue. You need to understand an important truth. We need to understand that Doss was in the war, but not of the war. He would see bullets, he would see blood, he would see death, He would see pain. He would see families forever changed. Men who would never walk. Men who would never return home to their wives. And he never picked up a weapon. He never shamed and fought back. Because he knew his mission was clear. And his purpose was resolute. I wrote down like this. As Christ's followers, our job is to be in the war. But not of the war. For 11 days... Doss prayed this prayer, "Lord, just give me one more. Lord, just give me one more. I'm happy to say we've baptized many in this church from the LGBTQ community. It does not matter if you cancel me, stop coming. I was prepared as I preach a sermon for everyone to get up and walk out, and I'd start over. Because this isn't my truth, and I will never be angry with you for leaving, because my job is not to fight. My job is to rescue one more. But before we get angry at the revisionist, I have an indictment against the church. Many of us in here ignore the very thing the Bible teaches in order to continue engaging in things that are private in our lives and that should be surrendered. We beat down others with condemnation and judgment, yelling at the person dealing with same-sex attraction while in secret Looking at pornography. We have disdain on our face for the transgender person while we're cheating our spouse on Pornhub. The reason the world stopped listening to the church is because our house is out of order. Writer and author Philip Yancey wrote it so powerfully. I know of no greater failure among Christians than has presented a, a point of view on sexuality outside the church. People think of God as the great spoil sport of human sexuality. Not as the inventor of sex. Even true believers find it hard to accept the traditional Christian morality offers the fullest, most satisfying life. The Pope utters pronouncements, denominations, position papers, and many Christians ignore them. And instead follow the leading of society. Surveys reveal little difference between the church attenders and non-attenders in the rates of premarital intercourse and cohabitation. Surveys, surveys shows that millions of people have left the church over the discussed topic of hypocrisy about sex, especially when priests and ministers fail to practice what they preach. We can talk about how they're trying to change the Bible all day long, but are we even obeying what the Bible says? That's why this is not a sermon against anyone in particular. It's just me doing this. Can we obey what this says? What's the way forward? With the remaining time, I want to give you a third Greek word. If you're taking notes, you want to write this down. If you're not taking notes, you want to write this down. The word is metanoia, a.k.a. repent. It's used in the book of Isaac, Ezekiel 18, verse 30. It was used by John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2. It'd be a word that Jesus used in Mark chapter 1, verse 50. Peter would use it in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, and Paul would call all people to it in Acts 17, verse 30. It means to have a, a change of mind, a change of mind. It primarily refers to the comprehensive change of one's orientation to follow God. Listen, let me put it like this. If your repentance hasn't changed you, your faith hasn't saved you. When you turn and come back to Jesus, things fall off. Things fall off. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9 says, Do you not know that the, the wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexual immoral. That's the word. Arsenicotes, by the way nor the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves. This, ma- this is a massive lift, list. Nor those who are greedy. H- wives, next time you don't share your French fries, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. You're, you're, you're greedy. <laughs> nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers. My translation says even Laker fans won't go. <laughs> we'll inherit the kingdom of God, and that is what some of you were. But you were washed, and you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Next verse, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything, you say. Food for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take my members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never, do not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body. For it is written, the two shall become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord, with him in spirit, flee sexual immorality. Someone say, flee, flee, flee sexual immorality. I got the worship team to come up. Flee sexual immorality. All of the sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your body's are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. Let me read you this again. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. As Christ's followers, I'm submitting myself under the lordship and authority of Jesus. I wrote down like this. Our generation today says, my body, my choice. That's not a quote about abortion, by the way. That's sexuality. As follower of Jesus, it's my body, his choice. I relinquish that right. See, the world will tell you self-actualization, you need to be an entrepreneur, pursue your purpose, and the scriptures say purity over purpose. What's the point of being a CEO? If you slept your way to the top what's the point of being Jeff Bezos if you lied and stole your way there because in the kingdom you can be a janitor but if you do your job with faithfulness you are great in the kingdom of heaven because it's not about titles it's not about purpose it's about purity and often we love the benefit of Jesus we just don't want to pay for it. My friend in high school, I remember the conversation so vividly because I was fifteen. My my friend was fifteen, and his dad, his dad was a CEO of a large company, multi multi millionaire. had two cars, a nineteen eighty Honda Civic that was worth maybe on a good day three or four thousand dollars, and then he had a a BMW eight series that was a hundred grand off the lot. And my friend and I, we would like lust over this car we love the BMW and his dad's like you don't want this car he's like even if I gave it to you for free don't take it I'm like bro you are crazy he's like do you know how much it costs to to change the oil on a Honda Civic 20 bucks he's like bro you know what it costs to change the oil on this car 250 he's like I can get four new tires for the Honda Civic for 300 bucks plus labor out the door this tire This one tire on the BMW costs four to five hundred bucks. The maintenance on this car annually is five grand. That's what this car is worth. He's like, if you were to take this car off me for free, you could never pay for the maintenance. It's too expensive. That is a perfect picture of Christianity. Salvation is cheap, discipleship will cost you everything. Jesus will die for you. It's free 99. It'll cost you everything. Your hobbies, your sexuality, your body. It is not cheap to maintain faith. It looks nice though. Salvation is cheap. Discipleship will cost everything. A theologian much smarter than me doesn't use the BMW Honda Civic example. His name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer and he calls it cheap grace. Cheap grace means the justification of sin without the justification of the sinner. Grace alone does everything they say, and so everything can remain as it was. All for sin could not alone. Well then, let the Christian live it like the rest of the world. Let him model himself of the world's standards and let every sphere of life not presumably aspire to live a different life under grace from his old life under cheap sin. Grace is the grace we bestow upon ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Cheap grace is baptism without church discipline. Cheap grace is communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Cheap grace is without the cross, without Christ, without living and incarnate. Cheap grace makes you feel good, but it does not do a body good. But this is hard. To follow Jesus heart. It's not easy to walk away from an illicit relationship that's built upon passion and lust. It's not easy to work through the pain caused by the addiction of porn or to deal with the patterns that have led to finding oneself trapped by it. I will never know the frustrations that are involved with having and working through same-sex attraction and not being able to be with someone you are drawn to. I will never know the deep pain of being in a body that does not feel like your own And wishing you were somewhere else and in someone else but can we all agree saying go be straight bro doesn't work just stop is what the cliche church terms we've been using for the last 50 years that the world doesn't want to hear anymore can anyone in this room walk by a bag of Oreos and eat just one no so in the same way you wouldn't tell a heroin addict stop You don't tell someone struggling with sexual immorality, stop. What we need is compassion that doesn't negate conviction. We need love that's not affirming. So I want to consider three truths in light of metanoia. And metanoia is something we all do. We all need to repent. The first is this. We have to allow repentance to change our minds concerning ourselves ourselves too many people in this room get their identity from instagram you get your identity from the scale on the ground you get your identity from the bank account if there's one comma or two you are who jesus says that you are you're not your mistake you're not your failure either you're not your sexuality you are a son and daughter of the most high and repentance changes how you view and identify yourself. My value does not come in what I do, what I give, or the value that I contribute. My value comes from knowing my heavenly father. True, biblical, Christ-centered repentance will cause us to have a reformation in the way that we see ourselves. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, grace is the hidden treasure in the field... Grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will gladly go and sell it all he has. It is the pearl of great price to buy, which the merchant will sell. All his goods for it. it is the kingly rule of Christ, for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye and cause him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus at which disciples leaves his nets and follows him no matter the cost. Grace is the gospel which must be sought, and again and again the gift must be asked at the door which man knocketh. grace is costly because it calls us to follow it is grace because it calls us to follow jesus christ it is costly because it costs a man his life it is grace because it gives a man the only true life it costs because it condemns sin and grace because it justifies the sin above all it is costly because it costs god this the life of his son ye were bought at a price and what has cost. God cannot be, be cheap. It is grace. Because God did not reckon his son for a dear price to pay our own life, but delivered him up for us costly. Grace is the incarnation of God. And the number one objection that I get is, Pastor Ali, it's simply not fair. It's my body, my feelings, my heart. I should be able to do whatever I want. And you would be right if you got your theology from TikTok and that would be the alignment with the age of the therapeutic self-authority. However, if you want to adhere to historical orthodox Christianity, whose worldview and sexual ethic is taught by Jesus and repeated by him throughout all of the scriptures, that our self is not authority. No matter how we are born, no matter how proclivities we have, the Bible is clear. We must be born again. It's not a use we use often in church. Second thing that metanoia calls for, We must allow repentance to change our minds concerning sin. Sin is not something you manage. It's something you run from. I wrote down like this. Sin is not a fire to be played with. It is a sickness that Jesus died for. Wherever light and erroneous views of sin exist, there will be light and erroneous views of the cross. Where we treat sin lightly, Jesus is treated lightly. But people will argue, God is love. Now, I would agree with you. God does reveal himself twice as love, but we may disagree on what what we're talking about when it comes to love. God is love, but the force of that love was the brutality of the cross, not for the allowance of something. And finally, we have to allow repentance to change our minds concerning God. One more quote. When the truth has been revealed in the word of God, Our business is to find out what that truth is and in all our teachings confirm that truth. We're not to edit it, change it, but to let it stand just as it is. Men are not willing to let God be what he says that he is. They attempt to change, correct, alter, and apologize for God in the attempt to make him other than what he is. God is, and we better accept him for what he is. Let me conclude by saying this. If you're here today, and you're dealing with same sex attraction, I wanna say I love you, this church loves you, you're welcome here. If you're dealing with transgender issues, I wanna say I love you, this church loves you, you are welcome here. If you're engaged in an extramarital affair right now and your partner doesn't even know about it, I wanna say that I love you, this church loves you, you are welcome here. I wanna say if you live in the, the club life, making it rain, sleep with anything and anyone that you possibly can, I want to say that I love you. This church loves you. You're welcome here. If you're struggling with habitual masturbation and all deviant forms of pornography, I want to say that I love you. This church loves you. and You're welcome here. If you're struggling to go down, if you're struggling and going downtown to find secret places, to do secret things, to engage in something you don't even want to tell anyone in this room about, I want to tell you that I love you. This church loves you. And you're welcome here. If you can bow your heads and close your eyes. Thank you, Jesus, for the sexual ethic that you teach in the scriptures. Not to control us, but to love us. God, you say some hard things that sometimes we don't agree on. God, you say some things that make us angry. But I believe, Jesus, you're smarter than my professors. You're smarter than politicians. You're wiser than my parents. You're wiser than anyone on TikTok or Instagram. that you've been teaching and preaching one message, sexual purity, not to control us, but to give us life and life abundantly. I repent God in ways that I've disagreed with you I've known the truth but not wanted to obey the truth forgive me God for having judgmental attitudes towards those outside the church and even inside the church for failing to live up to the standard as I have also failed to live up to the standard forgive me God for not being like Desmond Doss being in the war but not of it in a moment I want to with every eye closed and every head bowed if God's been speaking to you and there's some secret sexual sin that you need to get out of let's confess it in here Just begin to confess to God privately. Jesus, I repent. I turn from Pornhub. I turn from flirting with that secretary at work. I turn, God, from flirty texts I send. purity over purpose, Jesus. There are some of you in this room that while others are praying that prayer, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, The God who became a man, who never had sex, who died so that you could live. The gospel is so clear. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son That whoever should believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That Christianity is not about you doing anything, but you believing in Jesus. Believing in his death on a cross for your sins. And if you haven't started that relationship, I wanna give you that opportunity with every eye closed and every head bowed. And you wanna start a relationship with this Jesus who will love you in spite of your sexual past who loves you right now, not because you have to change, but he loves you if you never change. And he wants a relationship with you. Let him speak to you. Let him walk with you. Let him tell you the things that I said today. He loves you with an everlasting love. That's you. And you wanna start a relationship with the living God. He's a person. He has preferences. Purity is God's preference. And you can't do it alone. He'll empower you to do it. That's you. On the count of three, would you just be willing to raise your hand? One, two, three. Would you shoot your hand up if that's you and want to start a relationship with the living God, Jesus? Just pray this prayer in your heart. Or pray it out loud. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Thank you, God, for forgiving me of my sexual past. For cleansing me. Thank you, God, for not holding it against me. Thank you, God, for dying for it. Thank you, God, for freeing me of it. Thank God for purifying me of it. I don't understand everything, Jesus. But I believe that you're God. And that you left heaven. Come die for me. Would you, would you come into my heart? Would you send your Holy Spirit so that my body can be the temple of the Spirit of God? I want to live a pure life for you, Jesus. A holy life for you. I metanoia, Jesus. I repent and turn from my ways and return to you. And everybody said...